بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So we're now on to what I think is the third part of the four parts of this particular subject in this first module. And uh, there's a slight change in order. I've told you about it anyway. Uh, but if you're looking at your book, the book that I have, in the book that I have, uh, principles relating to uh, takfir and these issues are come before the, uh, the topic of the names of Allah. However, I want to put the names of Allah topic first. Um, firstly, because it's a break, and we started talking about those things last week, and it gives us a break and a chance to do something different. And the other reason is uh, that the the topic here, the topic of the names of Allah Azza wa Jal, is a little bit easier. It's a little bit easier on the mind. So it gives you a chance to just kind of um, to re relax yourselves and to kind of, you know, focus on some different things. So you're going to need to skip forward. At least in my copy, it is page 43 or 44, 43. In my copy of the notes, it's page 43. Your copy may be slightly different, but the title is Principles Relating to the Names of Allah. Page 42 I have as well. Sorry, Aqeedah 1, the exemplary principles. The exemplary principles. What we're going to study today, inshallah ta'ala, is a book called Al-Qawa'idul Musla. Just a quick introduction to the title. The title is called Al-Qawa'id Al-Muthla. Uh, I've translated that as the exemplary principles. Qawa'id is the plural of Qa'ida. And Qa'ida, one of the meanings of Qa'ida is a, a principle, like a rule or something which you can base things upon, something which you can build things upon. And the plural of qa'ida is qawaid. And these qawaid, they are described as being al-qawaidul muthla, exemplary. And the, 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 the best, or the, you know, the best way or the best set of principles. Setting an excellent example. And these principles relate to They relate to the attributes of Allah and His perfect names. So they relate to the perfect names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This book is by Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen, 
rahimahullah ta'ala. And for those of you who know Sheikh bin Thaymeen, maybe some of you even were able to meet Sheikh bin Thaymeen before he passed away, rahimahullah. You will realize that this book is not an old book. It's a book from our time. And the Sheikh passed away not like a long, long time ago. I mean, during the, during the 90s, I believe, that towards the end of the 90s. So the book is not very old. But honestly, I cannot think of a better book on this topic. And what the Sheikh did is he gathered together all of the principles that relate to Allah's names and attributes. Now, these principles generally tended to be spread out in books of Aqeedah. So in one book of Aqeedah, maybe you go through, you find a principle, then after 200 pages, you find another principle, then in another book of Aqeedah, you find another principle. And the Sheikh basically gathered them together in a really simple and easy to understand way, and a way that you can easily memorize these simple principles. And then he explained the principles in the book. So he, and, and the beautiful thing about it is the explanation is so short. Most explanation of most principles doesn't exceed two pages of the book. And that's really useful for us as a primer text. Because one of the conditions of a primer text is that the text should be small. It should be small in, uh, in size, easy to memorize, easy to understand. In terms of memorization, in terms of memorization, you probably only need to understand, you know what, most importantly, you only need to really memorize the actual rules themselves. Now, in the English translation of those rules, I haven't translated everything in the rule. Sometimes I've put for you dot, dot, dot. And that is because uh, sometimes converting Arabic into English would lead to a very complicated sentence that you might struggle to, to internalize and understand. So where you see in your notes dot, 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 that means that I have taken a part of what the Sheikh said and cut it out. But I will explain it to you in the, in the class, inshallah. Uh, the Sheikh then goes on to explain. And in terms of memorization, if you just memorize the principles, this is perfect. And they're so short, you can, you can probably memorize them in Arabic without any great difficulty. It would be pretty easy to get hold of the Arabic copy of the book and to memorize them in Arabic would not be difficult. They are very, very short, just a sentence each. And then the explanation you only need to understand. However, what you should memorize from the explanation is the dalil, the evidence. So the ayah or the hadith. So you need to understand the principles because like every principle, the idea behind these principles is that you're going to build upon them. You're going to build an understanding of Allah's names and attributes upon them. And uh, that's going to be important for us later on in the course where we study Allah's names and attributes directly as in we study some of the names and attributes of Allah Azzawajal themselves. Here, we're not studying names and attributes. We're studying principles 
which act as a framework to understand Allah's names and attributes properly. And understanding Allah's names and attributes properly is one of the most fundamental purposes of your life. I don't say it's one of the most fundamental things in seeking knowledge. It is one of the most fundamental purposes in your entire life. Because Allah Azza wa told us after mentioning that He creates or He has created the seven heavens and the seven earths and mentioning His command that goes between them. Allah Azza wa said لِتَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ أَحَاطَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عِلْمًا Allah created the heavens and the earth so that you may know that Allah is able to do all things and that you may know that Allah has encompassed everything with his knowledge. So one of the fundamental purposes of your existence is to know Allah Azza wa to know his names and attributes, to understand them, to act upon them and implement them. This is one of the most fundamental purposes in your entire life and there are so many things which Allah has decreed in this universe and the wisdom the primary wisdom behind decreeing those things is so that you may know his names and attributes some of the scholars mentioned this regarding sin the, the wisdom behind the fact that we sin one of the major wisdoms behind the fact that we sin is so that you know that Allah is Al-Ghafoor Rahim. So that you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives all sins. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most forgiving and the most merciful. And so a fundamental part of your entire life is to know Allah Azza wa Jal through His names and attributes and to implement those names and attributes in your life. And therefore, understanding the names and attributes of Allah is one of the most important forms of knowledge that there is. And if you were to say it is the most important form of knowledge that there is, you would not be far away from the truth. Therefore, it's extremely, extremely important that we understand the names and attributes of Allah properly. Someone might ask a question. They might say, we have learned in previous classes and indeed we have learned in our lessons and so on. That Allah said, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ In Surah Al-Dhariyat. We only created the jinn and the men to worship I only created the jinn and the men to worship me. How do we reconcile between this and between the ayah? How do we reconcile between this and the ayah that Allah created the heavens and the earth to know Him? We say that there is no contradiction between the two because the two are fundamentally the same thing. And I'll explain why. And this is important to understand. In other words, the link between the two is the link between the two types of Tawheed. 
توحيد المعرفة والإثبات and توحيد القصد والعمل because the worship of Allah alone or the belief in Allah Azza wa Jal alone has two fundamental parts to it we can say three but for this point I'm going to say two to make it easy to link it to the ayah the first one is توحيد المعرفة والإثبات and that is that you know Allah Azza wa Jal you single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his names and attributes and actions. You single out Allah Azza wa Jal in his names and his attributes and his actions. In other words, everything that Allah does, nobody does it except Allah. Whatever Allah is, nobody is like that except Allah. And the second is to single out Allah Azza wa Jal in your actions towards Him. You don't worship anything but Allah. You don't make dua to anything but Allah. You don't sacrifice to anything but Allah. And so, these two ayat cover the two fundamental types of singling out Allah and making Allah to be one. Or declaring Allah to be one. What we call Tawheed. These two ayat mention both types. The first one, that Allah Azza wa Jal created the heavens and the earth for you to know. For you to know. To know who Allah is. To know that nobody does these things but Allah. To know Allah's names and attributes. And to single Allah out in those that nobody has these names and attributes but Allah. And nobody does these things that Allah does except Allah. And the second type, in your actions towards Allah, i.e. in your worship of Allah, in your dua, in your sacrifice, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِ وَنُسُكِ وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهِ In Surah Al-An'am, at the end of the, the surah, say indeed my prayer and my sacrifice and my living and my dying are for Allah Lord of the worlds no partner has he and these two are fundamentally linked they are not two separate things they are linked together why they are linked together in two ways first of all you worship Allah based upon the knowledge that you have of Allah Azza wa Why do you worship Allah? If someone were to ask you, if a non-Muslim were to ask you today, why do you worship Allah? Why don't you worship Allah al-Uzza? al-Ukhra? Why don't you worship the self? Why don't you worship the sun or the moon? Your answer is going to be based upon what you know of Allah. Because Allah is my Lord. He is my creator. He is the only one that benefits and harms. And therefore, knowing Allah leads you to worship Allah alone. And when you know Allah, that is when you worship Allah alone. You only worship Allah alone when you know Allah Azza wa Jal. And that is why every ayah in the Qur'an that talks about the names and attributes of Allah or talks about what Allah does, Allah's actions, what Allah does, every one of them 
is concluded or followed by an ayah or concluded at the end of the ayah by a command to worship him. And you can look at any, any ayah of the Quran that talks about Allah. Allah does this, Allah provides, Allah sends down rain from the sky, Allah creates, Allah sustains. There will always be in the following ayah or the end of the ayah within the, the context of the passage, there will always be a command to worship Allah or a form of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is because knowing Allah leads you to worship Him. And a simple example of that, the ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah in which Allah the first command and the first prohibition, two ayat, the first thing we were commanded to do or the first command that comes in the Quran the first command that comes in the Quran and the first prohibition that comes in the Quran. So the first command that comes in the Quran, Ya Notice the ayah, think about the ayah. O mankind, worship your Lord who created you and those who came before you. Worship your Lord who created you. And you know that Allah created you, you learn about Allah, that Allah created you and those who came before you and you worship him because he is the one who created you so that you might protect yourselves from his punishment. Then Allah mentions a number of things from his actions. He mentions that he made the earth as a, a bed and the sky as a canopy. As a canopy that he sent down rain from the sky, that he brought out from it fruits. All of this relates to Allah, knowing Allah. So do not make partners with Allah while you know. Look at the link, it's so clear. Do not make partners with Allah while you know that Allah does these things. Meaning that when you know Allah, that automatically leads you to worship Allah. How many times does Allah in the Quran talk about making dua to something that doesn't benefit you and doesn't harm you? Why is it so wrong? Why is it so fundamentally flawed for a person to make dua to an idol? Because you're making dua to something that doesn't hold any benefit or any harm for you. It didn't create you. It doesn't sustain you. It doesn't give you life or cause you to die. It doesn't hold anything in its hand. It couldn't even create a fly. So knowing Allah leads you to worship Allah. And worshipping Allah is or encompasses knowing Him. Because you only worship Allah based upon the knowledge that you have of Him. So knowing Allah leads you to worship Allah. Knowing Allah drives you to worship Allah. And worshiping Allah encompasses or contains knowing Allah. Because when you know Allah Azza wa you only worship him based on the knowledge that you have of him. 
So if you ask somebody, who are you praying to? Say, I'm praying to Allah. Who is Allah? You pray to Allah because you are based upon the knowledge that you have of who He is. And so we see that the two ayat in essence are talking about the same thing. They are talking about knowing Allah and worshipping Him based upon that knowledge or worshipping Allah based upon the knowledge that you have of Him. And the, the ayah in Surah Al-Dhariyat to a certain extent is more comprehensive. Because when we talk about worshipping Allah alone, it is, it is clearer that it encompasses the meaning of knowing Allah. Whereas the link between knowing Allah to worshipping Allah, it requires a step. So when somebody says that the purpose of life is to worship Allah, this is the best definition. This is the most comprehensive definition. However, among that purpose or within that purpose is for you to know Allah Azza wa Jal. And Allah created the heavens and the earth for you to know Him. And for you to worship Him based upon that knowledge that you have. So this tells us something about the importance of the names and attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal. And in this book, we're going to be talking about principles that allow us to understand those names and attributes. And the names and attributes of Allah have been in the past by certain groups and certain individuals misunderstood. And that misunderstanding is extremely important. In other words, the scholars of Aqidah spent a huge amount of effort to clarify mistakes that relate to the names and attributes of Allah. Why? Because it's so fundamental, it's so important, this form of knowledge is so vital that anytime anybody makes a mistake in it, first of all, when you make a mistake in it, you could fall into the sin of speaking about Allah without knowledge. Allah Azza wa Jal said about the shaitan, إِنَّمَا يَأْمُرُكُمْ بِالسُّوءِ وَالْفَحْشَاءِ وَأَن تَقُولُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ the shaitan only commands you to do evil and immorality and to say about Allah what you don't know. And some of the scholars used to consider that the greatest of the major sins is to say about Allah what you don't know. Therefore, clarifying mistakes and giving principles to understand the names of Allah is absolutely critical for every Muslim, and it's something that we all need to understand. Now, I'm going to focus on the positive more than the negative. In other words, I'm going to focus more on you understanding the principles than I am how people misunderstood them. But it's still important for you to know how people misunderstood the names of Allah Azza wa Jal. And we're going to cover a number of different groups. Don't we? You know, again, uh, these are, are groups that have usually existed for a very, very long time, many, you know, well over, many of them well over a thousand years. And we're going to talk about where their misunderstandings uh, came from and how they misunderstood the names of Allah and why. And that will help you to be able to understand the names of Allah Azza wa Jal in the right way and the, and the attributes of Allah. Now, the book is divided into two parts. Rules that relate, re, sorry, three parts. I apologize, three parts. Rules that relate to the names of Allah, 
rules that relate to the attributes of Allah and rules that relate to the proofs. How do we prove that something is from the names of Allah or from the attributes of Allah? And we're going to try and go through them quite quickly. We're not going to spend a massive amount of time on each one. Just enough that we understand. And the book is in any case very summarized. The book in the first place is, is, uh, is highly summarized. So, our first principle, and I'm looking at the Arabic copy rather than the English copy. So don't worry if the translation is different. I'm just going to translate it off the top of my head. The one you have there is better because I spent more time translating that one than I'm going to spend translating now. So... The one that you have in front of you, the translation is better. The first principle relating to the names of Allah Azza wa Jal. Asma'ullahi ta'ala kulluha husna. Every single one of the names of Allah is perfect. And uh, if you were to say perfectly beautiful, oh, that would also be, would, be, would be true. But I prefer to use the word perfect here for in English, even if the word husna uh, in Arabic and it could encompass, we sometimes call it the beautiful names of Allah or the perfect names of Allah. But the key thing the Sheikh is emphasizing here is that all of the names of Allah Azza wa Jal are the pinnacle of perfection. There is no imperfection in any of the names of Allah in any way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ husna." To Allah belong the most perfect names. That's the dalil. Someone asks you, what's the proof that Allah's names are all perfect? The proof is in Surah Al-A'raf, ayah number 180, To Allah belong the perfect names. Why are the names of Allah perfect? Because they contain perfect attributes. The names of Allah contain perfect attributes. There is no deficiency in any of the attributes within those names, nor is there any deficiency in the names at all. All of the names are absolutely perfect. Let's give an example. We take the name of Allah Azza wa Jal, Al-Hay. So the Shaykh, he said, Al-Hay is a name from the names of Allah, as we know. What's the proof that it's a name from the name of names of Allah? Many proofs, but let's just take for example, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. Ayatul kursi. So it's a name from the names of Allah. What does it tell us about Allah? Al-hay, it, it means it's to do with life, being alive. Sometimes we translate it as the ever-living. But what does it tell us about Allah? It tells us that Allah has the perfect form of life. It was not preceded by nothingness. So Allah Azza wa Jal, His life has always been absolute perfection. As for our lives, they were preceded by nothingness. Yani we, before we were born, there was nothing. And then we were born as a baby crying. 
we couldn't even feed ourselves. Then we became a bit stronger. Then we didn't know anything. Then we learned something. Then finally we became, we reached our full strength. Then we went on a decline and we became weaker and we became older and we became frail and infirm. Our life first of all started from zero. And then our life went up and down and up and down. As for the life of Allah Azza wa Jal, it didn't start from nothing. And Allah has always been Al-Hay. He has always been alive, the ever-living. He is the first and nothing came before him. And he is the last and nothing will come after him. There was not a point when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was born. Allah's life is absolutely perfect. And Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't have times of strength and times of weakness. And that is why in Ayatul Kursi, La ta'khuduhu sinatun wala naum is an explanation of the name Al-Hay. He is not overtaken by slumber or sleep. So we understand that Allah Azza wa Jal has always been alive and will always be alive. Unlike our life which goes up and down in strength from a baby to a man to a, an old man to dying, Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't experience those things. Allah's life is absolutely perfect in every way, always. Always has been and always will be. It does not have any sleep, it doesn't have any slumber, it doesn't have any rest. And that is why when the Christians tell you that Allah rested on the seventh day, Ta'ala Allah, Amma Yaquluna Uluan Kabira. High is and exalted is Allah over what they attribute to Him. That they say that Allah rested on the seventh day. We say Allah does not need to rest because He is Al Hay. His life is absolutely complete, absolutely perfect. It doesn't have rest periods, it doesn't have times when he is weak, it doesn't have times when he was not there or times when he will not be there. It is absolutely perfect in every sense of the word. Let's take one more just so that we understand the principle. Let's take the name of Allah Azza wa Jal, which the Shaykh said, وَمِثَالٌ آخَرُ Al-Alim. Al-Alim, the most knowledgeable. Is a name from the names of Allah. What does it tell you? It tells you that Allah has absolute knowledge. As for us, what was our knowledge preceded by? It was preceded by ignorance. Allah said to the Prophet, We found you away from, you know, not knowing. You did not know you did not know the you did not know the book, you did not know the right way. Fahada, then Allah Azza wa Jal guided you. We were our knowledge that we had was preceded by ignorance. We didn't know and then we did know. Allah Azza wa Jal has always known. His knowledge was not preceded by ignorance. Allah did not learn. His knowledge. His knowledge has always been there and will always be there. As for us, we learn and we forget. As for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He doesn't forget. 
Allah doesn't forget. Allah doesn't forget. So as for us, we forget. We have times of ignorance. We have times when our knowledge is greater and less. There are some things we know. There are some things we don't know. Allah knows every single thing. He knows what will happen and what has happened and what is happening and what would happen if something else happened. Every single kind of knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows it. And so we see that the names of Allah are perfect in every aspect. Not only are they perfect in of themselves, not only are they perfect in of themselves, but there is an additional layer of perfection. And that is when two names come together. Now I'm sure you've noticed when you recite the Quran, that the names of Allah are often put together. For example, Al-Azizul Hakim. Al-Azizul Hakim. Al-Aziz, the Almighty, and Al-Hakim, the Most Wise. Each of those names in themselves are perfect. So Allah Azzawajal is Al-Aziz and He has perfect Izzah, perfect might and perfect honor. And the honor and the might of Allah has no deficiency, nothing. There is nothing deficient about it. It is absolutely perfect in every sense of the word. And Allah is Al-Hakim. And He has perfect hikmah. And every, His wisdom is absolutely perfect in every sense of the word. But there is an additional perfection. And that is the perfection of combining those names together. And to illustrate this perfection, think about a human being. When you think about somebody who is described as having izzah, honor and might and power, what do you think of? You think of a tyrant. You think of somebody who is like a bull in a china shop. You know, they just, it's all power and might and crushing things and destroying things and breaking things and ruining things and destroying people. It's like tyrannical. And when you think about a person who has hikmah, you think about an old man with a white beard and he's very, very frail and he can't do anything, but he's very wise. And look at how Allah is different from his creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has perfect might such that nobody has any might or power that can even resemble the might and power of Allah in the smallest way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his power is absolute. But his power is exercised with perfect wisdom. And Allah has perfect wisdom. And his wisdom is exercised with perfect power. So his wisdom is not attached to weakness, nor is his power attached to tyranny. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has perfect wisdom and perfect power and perfect wisdom and power together. And the reason these two names are together is to explain to you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power is perfect but he doesn't oppress and his wisdom is perfect but it has no weakness in it. And therefore, perfect power to get, comes together with perfect wisdom. And that is the basic understanding of our first, uh, our first rule. Our second rule 
أسماء الله تعالى أعلام وأوصاف The names of Allah are both actual names and attributes The names of Allah are both actual names and they are attributes What do we mean by actual names? They are actual names in the sense that they refer to the same being. They refer to the same being. So when we say Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, we say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Are we referring to three different beings? One whose name is Allah, and the other one his name is Ar-Rahman, and the other one his name is Ar-Rahim. As a famous Christian preacher said, he said, you people believe in the Trinity and my evidence is Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And what you can see here is, okay, what do you say about who Allahu alladhi la ilaha illahu alimu al-ghaybi wa al-shahada huwa al-Rahman al-Rahim al-Malik al-Quddus al-Salam al-Mu'min al-Muhaymin Where's the Trinity there? That's like, we reach 10. In any case, in any case, what we need to understand is that all of the names of Allah refer to a single being. In that sense, they are names. In that sense, they are names. So if someone were to ask you, in what sense are the names of Allah names? How are they names? We say they are names because they all refer to a single being. A single that, a single being. They all refer to Allah. So when we say Al-Malik, Al-Quddus, Al-Salam, Al-Mu'min, Al-Muhaymin, Al-Aziz, Al-Jabbar, all of these names refer to a single being. And again, you know, it's not just the Christians. The Hindu may say the same thing. They may say all of these idols that we worship are just like your names of Allah. They are all just representations of, you know, like they are just like the names of Allah. So we worship this one and we worship this one. We say no because you are worshipping separate beings. As for the names of Allah, they all refer to the same being, the same Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, they are also awsaf. They contain attributes. They have meanings. And therefore, they refer to the same being, but they don't mean the same thing. That's extremely important to make that difference. They refer to the same being, but they don't mean the same thing. So Ar-Rahman does not mean Ar-Rahim. And Al-Malik does not mean Al-Quddus. And Al-Hay does not mean Al-Qayyum. Each one has its own attributes and meanings. However, all of them refer to the same being. So when we say, and if someone were to ask you the evidence for this, then the evidence for this, perhaps I will just give you one evidence. Surah Al-Kahf, ayah number 58. وَرَبُّكَ الْغَفُورُ ذُو الرَّحْمَةِ your Lord is Al-Ghafoor. This is the name of Allah Azza wa Jal. 
Al-Ghafur, the most forgiving. Dhu'r-Rahmah. And the word Dhu in Arabic, it means to have an attribute. The word Dhu, it means to have an attribute. So we say Fulanun Dhu'mal. Someone is, he, he possesses, he has an attribute of wealth. And we say so-and-so is Dhu'khuluq. He has the attribute of being well-mannered. So dhu, it means to have an attribute of something. So Allah has the attribute of mercy, dhu-rahmah. So Allah Azza wa Jal affirmed for himself the name Al-Ghafur and he affirmed for himself the attribute of having Ar-Rahmah and that his name, for example, Ar-Rahim is not just a name. Like for example, one of us, our name might be Salih, but he's not Salih. Any one of you, your name might be Salih, and Salih means someone who is pious, but he might not be Salih, he might not be righteous. One of you, your name, for example, might be, I don't know, Muhammad, but he's not praiseworthy in his actions. His actions are not praiseworthy. So our names are often just names. They don't have meanings in the sense that the meanings of the names that we have may not be true for ourselves. They may not have any, any understandable meaning in the first place, but the meanings may not, be, may not be true for ourselves. Like the person whose name is Salih, but he's not righteous. As for Allah Azza wa Jal, then his names all refer to him, but all of them have meanings that apply to him and each of the meanings that apply to him are different. So as an example, as an example, let us take As-Sami' Al-Basir. Let us take As-Sami' Al-Basir. Allah Azza wa Jal, his name is As-Sami' and his name is Al-Basir. As-Sami' is a name of Allah. It refers to a single being, Allah. And Al-Basir is a name of Allah which refers to the same being. So in the sense of the name, As-Sami' is Al-Basir. In the sense of the name, As-Sami' is Al-Basir. In the sense of the attributes that it contains, they are not. Because As-Sami' is the attribute of As-Sami' being able to hear every single thing. And Al-Basir is the attribute of having Al-Basar, being able to see every single thing. And so the meaning of As-Sami' is not the same as the meaning of Al-Basir, but the two names refer to the same being. And the most important group that this refutes is that this is a refutation of Al-Jahmiyyah. Al-Jahmiyyah are a group who attribute themselves to Jaham ibn Safwan. They attribute themselves to Jaham ibn Safwan. And they are known for their denying of the names of Allah Azza wa Jal. They are known for their denying of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And among them are a group 
who, for example, said that Allah is Sami'un bila sam', basirun bila basar, azizun bila izza. They said Allah is as Sami', but He can't hear. And Allah is al Basir, but He cannot see. And Allah is al Aziz, but He has no power. Why would they make such a statement? They made such a statement because, first of all, the names are present in the Quran. So you can't say Allah is not as Sami'. Allah is not al Basir. However, they said, if Allah is as Sami' and al Basir, that must mean. That must mean that there is more than one God. One of them can hear everything and the other God can see everything. This is their mistaken understanding. They said if those, if those names actually mean different things, that must mean that there is a God who can see and another God who can hear and another God who is mighty and another God who is living and another God who sustains and so on. And this is not true. This is not true for a number of reasons. First of all, in terms of the Quran, Allah Azza wa describes himself with many attributes. Forget names. Allah describes himself in the Quran with many attributes. For example, in Surah Al-Buruj, Allah describes himself with lots of things. And because he describes himself as doing lots of things, does not mean that he is different, a different person. And human beings can be described with multiple attributes. You can be righteous and you can be strong and you can be intelligent and you can be friendly and you can be considerate and courteous and, and uh, generous. Therefore, from the point of view of the Quran, Allah describes himself with many things. As for the intellect, then we know that many things that we see around us have multiple characteristics and attributes. And if I say that Muhammad is generous and forgiving, nobody thinks I'm talking about two people. Nobody said I'm talking about one Muhammad is generous and the other one is forgiving because you can only be one or the other. So this is refuted by the Quran and it's refuted by the intellect. It's refuted by the Quran because Allah describes himself with many, many, many attributes all at once. He does what he wants and he creates what he wants and he, you know, returns what he wants and he, do, and he creates and he sustains and he provides and he sends down the rain. And when he tells us about these things, nobody thinks these are all different gods. And secondly, intellectually, in terms of logically, when you think about it, we know people with many attributes. And if you know a person with many attributes, then there's certainly no reason why Allah cannot have many attributes. And so this is a refutation of those people who said Allah is Sami'un bila sam', basirun bila basar, azizun bila izza, ta'ala Allah amma yaqulun. This is also uh, a means to filter out some misconceptions with regard to the names of Allah. One of which is the name, which is not a name of Allah, it's not a name of Allah, the name Ad-Dahr. The name Ad-Dahr. Ad-Dahr, it means time, as in the passing of days. 
uh, in an authentic hadith. Uh, and the hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari. And I believe the number is 7491. And in Sahih Muslim, 2246. That Allah Azza wa Jal said, Yu'udhin ibn Adam, Yasubbu al-dahar wa ana al-dahar. Allah Azza wa Jal said that the son of Adam and he speaks ill of me Al-Adha it doesn't mean to harm you think here because nothing harms Allah Al-Adha is to say something uh, inappropriate about or to say like to to insult somebody or to 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 uh, say something inappropriate about somebody this is the meaning here of al-adha that the son of adam speaks ill of me he insults time and i am time in my hands are uh, is the the control of everything i turn the night into the day so notice in this hadith, Allah says, Ana dahar. I am a dahar. I am time. I am time. Is a dahar one of the names of Allah Azza wa Jal or not? The scholars say a dahar is not one of the names of Allah. How can it not be one of the names of Allah when Allah said, Ana a dahar. I am a dahar. Because ad-dahar does not have a meaning. It does not have meanings which are appropriate to Allah Azza wa Time is a word, is a concept. But it's not a meaning. Like for example, ar-Rahman, the most merciful, the one whose mercy encompasses everything. Time doesn't have such a meaning. Time is, is, is absent from having its a... It's just a, it's just a, a word for, for the passage of days and nights. So what does it mean, Anadahar? I am time. It means what Allah said, I am the one who brings the night into the day. I.e. when you insult time, when you insult the passage of days, and you say, may Allah curse the days, or may the days be cursed, may the hours be cursed. Who are you cursing? You're cursing the one who made those hours the one who turned the night into the day or you say may Allah curse this day you're cursing Allah because ultimately Allah is the one who made this day and what is in it and the meaning of this is not that Allah is a dahar as uh, the sheikh said لِأَنَّهُ إِسْمٌ لِلْوَقْتِ zaman." Because it is nothing more than a word which means time. And it's a passage of time. And it doesn't have a meaning in it which is applicable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, it cannot be a name of Allah because all of the names of Allah have meanings which are applicable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third principle. أسماء الله تعالى إن دلت على وصف متعد تضمنت ثلاثة أمور 
أحدها ثبوت ذلك الاسم لله عز وجل والثاني ثبوت الصفة التي تضمنها لله عز وجل والثالث ثبوت حكمها ومقتضاها Principle number three The names of Allah if they have an aspect which affects others dot 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 and if they do not have an aspect which affects others this tells us that the names of Allah can be divided into two groups names of Allah which have an aspect which is muta'ad i.e. it has an aspect which affects the creation of Allah which affects the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for example the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah is Ar-Rahim the bestower of mercy and this has an aspect which affects his creation so mercy mercy affects us we are affected by the mercy of Allah and there are some names of Allah which do not have an aspect like that i.e. they do not contain something which affects us so when they contain something which affects Allah's creation we affirm three things number one we affirm the name is a name of Allah so this is the first before the first dot 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 yeah they have an aspect which affects others number one we affirm the name for Allah number two we affirm the attribute which is contained within the name the meaning of the name the attribute which is the meaning of the of the name and number three we affirm what that name and attribute entails in terms of the creation of Allah so number one we affirm the name number two we affirm the attributes number three we affirm the Sheikh he says what is necessitated by it we affirm what is or the effect that or the what is entailed what is understood from it So, for example, if we take the mercy of Allah, we take Ar-Rahim, we affirm that Allah is Ar-Rahim. This is a name of Allah, number one. Number two, we affirm the attribute which comes from that name, which is Ar-Rahmah, the attribute of mercy. So we don't just say Allah is Ar-Rahim, but He has no mercy. This is going back to the, the Jahmiyyah and the, those who followed them in the previous stage, which we talked about. So we say Allah is Ar-Rahim and Allah has mercy and we affirm what that mercy entails which is that he bestows that mercy upon whoever he wants from his creation and we don't refrain from that third one where people say okay and this is where you get into some of the you know the uh, the issues of the mutakallimun the people who spoke by philosophy and rhetoric that they had an issue with this 
they have an issue in affirming actions for Allah or many actions for Allah. So they'll say that Allah Azza wa Jal, they'll say that Allah Azza wa Jal speaks, but his speech is a constant. He doesn't speak whenever he wants and then not speak whenever he wants. They can't, you know, they don't, they can't comprehend that these names and attributes have have ahkam, they have rulings and they have uh, things which they entail that happen in the cre within the creation of Allah For example, the mercy of Allah that envelops us or the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can hear what we say. So for example, with regard to the hearing of Allah, we say Allah is as-sami'ah. He, he is as-sami'ah, this is the name. And we affirm the attribute, as-sami'ah, hearing. And we say that because of this, Allah can hear everything that happens so Allah is the all-hearing and Allah has the attribute of being able to hear and as a third one that, that, that the result of this is the what it entails the outcome of this is that Allah hears everything the second type are those which do not contain an aspect which affects others an aspect which is muta'ad it affects others. Uh, there is a, you could use a, 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 a sort of a, a term for this, but I think saying affects others is better than, than using like a, a, a sort of a grammar term for this. Um, but in any case, there are some names which do not contain such an aspect. And for that, we simply affirm the name and we affirm the attribute. An example of that is Al-Hayy. Al-Hayy refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It doesn't refer to something that Allah does to us. Like hearing, Allah hears us. Mercy, Allah bestows mercy upon us. As for Allah being Al-Hayy, the ever-living, Allah does not ever-living us. I mean, it, doesn't, it doesn't apply to us. It doesn't have an aspect which is applied to us. Therefore, for this, we affirm the name and we affirm the attribute. So it's very important that when we hear a name and attribute that has an aspect that is applied to us, like Allah sees us, Allah hears us, Allah has mercy on us, Allah punishes some of us, then these attributes, we affirm what they entail. We don't just affirm the attribute as an attribute and say, oh, that is with Allah and it has no practical application. We say, no, Allah is the most merciful. He has mercy and he bestows mercy. Allah is the all-hearing. He can hear and he hears his creation. So we affirm three things for that and two things for the names that are like Al-Hay, which only refer to Allah within himself. They do not refer to something that affects uh, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Principle number four. Dalalatu Asma'illahi ta'ala ala thatihi wa sifatihi takunu bimutabaka wa tadammun wal tizam. Principle number four. The evidence within the names of Allah 
the exalted, relating to himself and his attributes, are by three things. Direct association of the word and the meaning, or part of those meanings which the word contains, and those meanings which are understood by necessity. Okay, this is a little bit difficult, this one. We have to take it a little bit slowly. It becomes clear with an example. We have to take this one with an example. So let's take the example of Al-Khaliq. Let's take the example of Al-Khaliq. Al-Khaliq, the word itself, the direct association of the word itself, tells us that this word refers to Allah and it refers to the attribute of creation. The word Al-Khaliq directly, the word Al-Khaliq, it means, literally the word Al-Khaliq itself means the one who, the one who creates. Ism fa'il from Khalaqa, Yakhluqu. So Khaliq is the one who creates. This is a direct association. And it tells us that Allah has the attribute of creation by the meaning which the word contains. Because you can't say that somebody is khaliq unless they have the attribute of creation. So that is contained within the word. The attribute of creation is contained within the word. And as for meanings which are understood by necessity, then we have, for example, knowledge and power. Because you cannot create unless you have knowledge of what you are creating. And you cannot create unless you have the power to be able to bring that creation into existence. Therefore, this name Al-Khaliq gives us three different things. It gives us a direct understanding that Allah is Al-Khaliq. It gives that that's direct. Yani Allah is Al-Khaliq. That's a direct, and the word Al-Khaliq, and it's directly applied to Allah. So we know it, we have a direct association. That's the first thing. Secondly, we know that the attribute of creation or the ability to create is understood by the meaning of the is understood by the meaning of the word that allah alone creates 
That's understood within the meaning of the word Al-Khaliq. And then we understand that Allah knows everything and is able to do everything because that name cannot be applied to Allah unless Allah has perfect knowledge and perfect power. Otherwise, you cannot be called Al-Khaliq unless you have the knowledge to create and the power to bring that creation into being. The benefit of this rule, essentially, the very, very, the, the, the important benefit of this rule is that you can get a lot out of one name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not just that you know that Allah is Al-Khaliq and that's the end of it. You get a lot of information and a lot of knowledge about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of the names and attributes of Allah and those of you I think the, the best example of this is that those of you attend the names and attributes the beautiful names of Allah uh, program that we do on a Friday evening every second week you'll be aware that in one name sometimes the scholars extract many many benefits from that name and they extract benefits from that name with these three things number one Direct association. Allah is Al-Khaliq. Allah said He is Al-Khaliq, so Allah is Al-Khaliq. Number two, by the meanings which are contained within that word. So what is contained within this word Al-Khaliq? Contained within this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone creates. This is sort of packaged within the word. And then association. So we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's understood by necessity so we know that if Allah is al-khaliq he must be al-alim al-qadir he must be the one that knows everything and is able to do everything so you understand that it's not just a name that you take out of it and all of these first few principles have been proving this it's not just a name you take out of it it's not just a name but it's a name that gives you an understanding either directly or by what the name contains and it's a name that necessitates other things about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I don't want to go too much into uh, the issue of necessity and iltizam uh, that is something a little bit more difficult we can probably go into next time but this is enough inshallah in that rule the fifth principle The names of Allah Azza wa Jal are taken as they come. Tawqifiyya, you do not have, like they are taken as they come. You don't, you don't interpret, you don't like, um, you don't make up your own ideas, you don't make up new names that you didn't, you, you don't think about it and think, oh, I think that this name is like this, so I think that this means this. They are tawqifiyya. As they come, you take them. And there is no place for the intellect when discussing them. Why is there no place for the intellect? We'll give 
uh, one ayah as a proof and then we'll talk about an uh, intellectual proof for it. So the reason that there is no place for the intellect, Surah Al-Isra, ayah number 36. وَلَا تَقْفُ مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٍ وَالْبَصَرَ وَالْفُؤَادَ كُلُّ أُولَٰئِكَ كَانَ عَنْهُ مَسْؤُولًا Don't speak about what that which you have no knowledge of. Indeed, the hearing and the sight and the hearts, all of them, you will be asked about. So rough translation of the ayah. So the ayah tells us that we are not allowed to speak without knowledge. We're not allowed to take a position on something without knowledge. And as for the names of Allah Azza wa Jal, then there is only three ways in which you can know something. And we're going to come about this in, in, in terms of the proofs, but it, this is helpful now to mention. There are only three ways you can know something. Either you experience it with your senses. You see it, you hear it. Or you compare it to something else that you know. Or someone describes it to you. Someone reliable describes it to you. These are the only three ways you can know anything. You experience it with your senses. Can any of you experience Allah with your senses? Have any of you seen Allah? Have any of you heard Allah? Have any of you touched or smelt? No, you have, none of you have experienced Allah with your senses. Have we got anything we can compare Allah to? By saying that, for example, Allah is like this. No. There is nothing like Him. There is nothing similar or equal or comparable to Him. That leaves us only with the last one, khabar the reliable description of him. Okay, the reliable description of him comes from, from where? From the Quran and from the Sunnah. Nowhere else. Nowhere else has a reliable description of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, except what he described himself with and what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam described him with. Therefore, there is no room for the intellect at all. Allah Azza wa Jal is not, you cannot encompass him with your mind or with your sight. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, La absar wa huwa absar. Allah Azza wa Jal said, sight cannot encompass him and he encompasses all sight. You can't encompass Allah, you can't sort of visualize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no place for your intellect in this. You take the names of Allah as Allah described himself and as the Prophet ﷺ described him. And the biggest problem that happened among the mutakallimun, among the people of kalam, the people of rhetoric and philosophy, all of them, all of the groups of them, from the you know, from the beginning to the end, among them the Asha'ira and the Maturidiya and many, many groups of them, is that they made their intellect superior in their eyes to the Quran and the Sunnah. And this is a fundamental principle of Ilmul Kalam. Al-Aql fawq al-Naql. 
that your intellect is superior to the Quran and the Sunnah. Fundamental principle of Ilmul Kalam, one of the two or three essential beliefs that you have to have to say that this person is from Ahlul Kalam, the people of rhetoric or the people of philosophy, and that is giving the intellect precedence over the text. And the reason they misguided themselves and others in the names and attributes of Allah, and they partially denied and they twisted the meanings and they wrapped them up and changed them and did anything they could, is simply because they said, my intellect cannot understand. So for example, they twisted the meaning of the speech of Allah Azza wa Jal. They twisted the meaning of the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? They said, we cannot understand intellectually how does Allah speak. It doesn't matter if you can understand or you can't understand. Your understanding is not the condition by which we approve a name of Allah or we don't approve, or an attribute of Allah or we don't approve. Intellects differ. We take the names of Allah and the attributes of Allah as we're going to come to, we take them from the book of Allah and from the Sunnah as they were given to us. Your intellect does not have a role to play in judging the names or verifying the names or denying or approving or implementing or the meanings or whatever. They are tawqifiyya. They are as they come. You don't invent any new names for Allah that Allah didn't invent for himself. You don't change the meanings of the names of Allah that Allah gave for himself. You don't uh, deny or, or, or effectively deny some of the names because your intellect cannot understand them. You affirm what Allah affirmed for himself and what the Prophet ﷺ affirmed for him. Principle number six. Asma'ullahi ta'ala ghayru mahsuratin bi'adadin mu'ayyan. The names of Allah are not limited to a certain number. The confusion in this came from a hadith. And the hadith is narrated by Al-Imam Al-Bukhari number 6410 and Al-Imam Muslim 2677 from the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an inna lillahi tis'atan wa tis'een asman mi'atan illa wahida man ahsaha dakhal al-jannah Indeed, Allah has 99 names. 100 minus 1. Whoever learns, understands, and implements them will enter paradise. This, for those who understand Arabic well, and I say well, not those who speak Arabic, those who understand the Arabic language well, contains no evidence that Allah's names are limited to 99. The word for limiting the names to 99 would be innama. 
the hadith would be innama lillahi tis'atun wa tis'un ismu Allah has only 99 names however this does not say only 99 names the hadith says Allah has 99 names whoever learns memorizes implements them will enter paradise that does not mean that Allah does not have more than that that simply means that of the names of Allah, out of all of the names of Allah, there are 99 special names that if you learn them and implement them and act upon them, you will enter paradise. And there are many, many evidences for this. Uh, probably the best evidence that we can give uh, is uh, a hadith of Ibn Mas'ud in Musnad al-Imam Ahmad. which the reference I have for it is volume 1, 394. And others, in which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, أَسْأَلُكَ بِكُلِّ اسْمٍ هُوَ لَكَ سَمَّيْتَ بِهِ نَفْسَكَ أَوْ أَنْزَلْتَهُ فِي كِتَابِكَ أَوْ عَلَّمْتَهُ أَحَدًا مِنْ خَلْقِكَ أَوْ اسْتَأْثَرْتَ بِهِ فِي الْعِلْمِ الْغَيْبِ عِنْدَكَ I ask you by every name that is yours, that you named yourself, or you sent down in your book, or you taught to any one of your creation, or you kept with you in the unseen. And that far exceeds the names that are simply mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. Furthermore, simply from the Quran itself, if you look at the names of Allah Azza wa Jal in the Quran, there are more than 99 names in the Quran and the Sunnah. If you combine the Quran and the Sunnah together, you reach somewhere in the region of 120 or 100 and something, something along those lines. And in the region of 115, 120, some differences of opinion about that. But you definitely reach more than 99. And the hadith has no proof that the names of Allah are limited to 99. Linguistically, in, in, in language, there is no proof whatsoever that the names are limited to, that the names are limited to 99. Principle number seven, and it's the last principle regarding the names before we go on to the attributes. Al-ilhadu fi asma'illahi ta'ala huwa al-maylu biha amma yajibu fiha. Deviation, ilhad. In the same ayah, the first ayah I mentioned to you in Surah Al-A'raf, I mentioned to you at the beginning. Walillahi al-asma'u al-husna. فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا وَذَرُوا الَّذِينَ يُلْحِدُونَ فِي أَسْمَائِهِ To Allah belong the perfect names. So make dua to Him with them and leave those people who deviate with regard to His names. Leave those people who deviate with regard to His names. And those people who deviate with regard to His names are many. And we're going to mention some of the types of deviation, or we're going to mention four types of deviation. Number one, to deny some of the attributes or some of the applications of the names of Allah Azza wa Jal. 
as the Jahmiyyah and those who followed them did to deny to deny some of the names of Allah or some of the attributes of those names or some of the application like remember we said those names that apply to his creation like having mercy like some of them will say yeah Allah is the most merciful and Allah has mercy but Allah does not bestow mercy upon his creation his mercy is a constant and it doesn't it doesn't get given to people and taken away from people it is just a constant because if it gets given and taken away that means that at times it's more complete than others and this is not true rather Allah is فَعَالٌ لِمَا in Surah Al-Buruj and this is that one word refutation of what the mutakallimun and the other people say from the Jahmi and all the, these other groups said when they denied the application of the names of Allah to us we say to them Allah he does whatever he wants he speaks when he wants he bestows mercy upon when he wants whoever he wants whenever he wants he raises whoever he wants, he lowers whoever he wants, he gives to whoever he wants, he takes from whoever he wants. He is fa'alun lima yurid. So as for a person who comes and denies either a name of Allah or an attribute of Allah or denies the application to, of that attribute to Allah's creation, then there is no doubt that this is ilhad. This is a kind of deviation with regard to the names of Allah. Number two. To make these names similar to the creation i.e. to compare Allah to his creation with regard to the names of Allah to compare Allah to his creation There is something important. There is something important in this. And, and it's going to come in the sifat, but I'm kind of joining it together so that we go through the attributes section a bit quickly. Uh, there is something important in this. There may well be a... What, what is the word? I want to use the right word because if you use the wrong word, you can say something bad about Allah there may be a certain amount of um, or a certain common characteristic between some of the attributes of Allah and the attributes of his creation however it is not um, it's not the case that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala resembles his creation in any way for example Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can see and we can see so in that sense, there is a, a common, a commonality in the sense that Allah can see and we can see. However, our sight is nothing like the sight of Allah And this is important to understand. And if you understand this, you get out of like at least 30% of the misguidance of the mutakallimun, of Ahlul Kalam. Because they could not understand this. And Allah explains it beautifully. Laysa kamithlihi shay. There is nothing like him, but there is nothing like him, but he is 
the all-hearing, the all-seeing. You can see and I can see. And Allah can see. However, our sight is nothing like Allah's sight. And our hearing is nothing like Allah's hearing. And if you understand that, you have gotten away from the overwhelming majority of the confusion that is presented by the people of rhetoric and philosophy. Because they could not grasp this basic concept. So some of them said, if you say Allah can hear, you made Allah similar to his creation. Why? Allah can hear and you can hear. But your hearing is nothing like the hearing of Allah. So that commonality is not, if you make that commonality too wide, then what happens is you end up comparing Allah to his creation. So you end up saying Allah hears like we hear. Allah sees like we hear, like we see. And if you say there is nothing, and there is, you know, there is nothing like that that exists, then you end up denying the name of Allah. You say Allah cannot hear because we can hear. Allah cannot see because we can see. Ahlul Sunnah said right in the middle. Allah can hear, but his hearing is nothing like our hearing. And Allah can see, but his sight is nothing like our sight. Therefore, you affirmed the name, but without comparing Allah to his creation. Number three, to invent a name, number three in deviation, to invent a name for Allah that Allah did not name himself with. Like when the Christians called him the father. Allah did not name himself the father. So they invented a name for Allah that Allah did not name himself with. And this is ilhad. This is a kind of deviation with regard to Allah's names. And the philosophers have one which I have no idea how you translate. Shaykh Ibn Taymiyyah mentions that the philosophers named Allah Al-Illatul Fa'ila. I think they call it something like the principal cause or the primary cause or something like that. Allah didn't name himself the primary cause or the principal cause. Allah did not name himself with this name. So we don't name Allah with names that he did not name himself with. And we don't use our mind to imagine well I think that that's probably right to name Allah the names of Allah are as we said tawqifi number four to take from the names of Allah names of the idols or to name others with the names of Allah um, for example uh, the the the, uh, the mushrikeen they took their, one of their idols, Al-Uzza. And Al-Uzza, they took this from Al-Aziz. And the name of Allah, Al-Aziz, or, the, or the, the, the attribute of Allah, Al-Izza, they named their idol after this. And this shows you, and I just want to give you a modern application. Maybe you guys have uh, 
at some point a while ago, there was a news report about somebody who made a comic book of the 99 names of Allah. And they gave one name to each comic book superhero. This is the reason why we learn these principles. Because this person thinks they are doing a very good deed. They thought that they were getting people very near to Allah. So let me make a comic book and each comic book superhero is going to have one of the names of Allah. Even if it's not the name of Allah, but they're going to have like, we're going to extract from the names of Allah one thing to give to each comic book superhero. This is Ilhad with regard to the names of Allah. And this is exactly the same as naming your idols after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or extracting the names of the idols from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's shirk at the end of the day. You know, you're giving a human or a creation, a created object, the name of Allah azza wa jal. This is shirkun akbar, which takes a person outside of Islam. And look at how dangerous this is. That a person without ignorance goes to do something, they think, we're going to teach the names of Allah to everybody, I know what I'll do. And I warn you against this generally. A lot of people do this in, 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 in all sorts of Islamic fields. Like somebody will say to me, oh, I've made a video. Will you, will you watch the video and see what you think? And the video contains a major sin or it contains shirk or it contains something very, very serious in it. And they say, well, I just thought I, I thought I was doing the right thing. You know, I thought it was a good idea. Learn before you do. Before you have some clever idea that I'm going to do X, Y, Z, think about it first, learn it first, and check that it's valid first. So this is just a modern application of the, this fourth one. Extracting from the names of Allah, names for the idols, or names for anything from creation. With regard to the names of Allah very quickly, and we are running short on time, so I'm going to have to do it quickly. There are three types of names in terms of naming creation okay so we're talking about giving human beings the names of Allah there are three types of names okay the first one is a name which it is not permissible to give it with Al on but without Al it is permissible for example Ar-Rahim, Ar-Rahim. It is permissible to call somebody Rahim, but it is not permissible to call somebody Ar-Rahim. Why? Rahim means somebody who is merciful to someone else. Someone who is merciful to someone else is Rahim. Allah Azza wa said about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Bil-Mu'minina Ra'ufun Rahim. He is Rahim towards the believers. However, the name Ar-Rahim, the most, yani the bestower of mercy, the one who is the, the, the true bestower of mercy, the most merciful, if you like to use it that way, when you put Al on the name, it is not permissible to give that name to anyone of creation. So it's not permissible for anyone to take the name Ar-Rahim. They have to call themselves Abdul rahim Abdul Rahim. Or for a girl, Amat Ar-Rahim. But not to say 
Ar-Rahim. However, the name Rahim without Al is permissible because it doesn't, it isn't something which is only for Allah. It's only for Allah when you describe it with Al, and the one who bestows mercy upon everything and nothing exists without his mercy. That is only for Allah. But just being Rahim, being merciful to people, I can be merciful to you, you can be merciful to me. The second kind is the kind that you cannot name creation with, with or without Al. For example, Rahman. It is not permissible to use the name Rahman with Al or without Al. Why? Because what does Rahman mean? The one whose mercy encompasses everything. Whether I put Al and say the only one whose mercy encompasses everything, or whether I just say this is a person whose mercy encompasses everything, you cannot use it for other than Allah So if one of you, and it is common, you have the surname or you have the name Rahman, then you have to change it to Abdul Rahman. Because it's not permissible to have this name. Likewise, Samad. It's not permissible for someone to have the name Samad with or without Al. Because the meaning is the one who is not in need of anything and everyone is in need of them. So whether you put Al or you don't put Al, it doesn't uh, make any difference. The mean it's inappropriate, it's not permissible to use that name for, for anyone other than Allah with Al or without Al. And the third type is when we use a name with Al, but the Al has a different meaning to the Al in the name of Allah. And the word Al in Arabic can have different meanings. So with regard to the names of Allah, it's about focusing like the only one who does this. But for example, the name of Allah Azza wa Jal, Al-Malik, the King. Al-Malik, as in the Qira'ah, the well-known Qira'ah from Warsh and Nafi' and others. Maliki Yawmiddin. And Al-Malik, Al-Quddus, Al-Salam. So Allah Azza wa Jal is Al-Malik. Al-Malik, it means the king. It is permissible for you to say about a king in this world, Ja' Al-Malik, the king came. But the king is not the king, if that makes sense. How would you write it in English? It's about the king as a name versus the king as a, as just a description of, of a job title, of a position. Oh, the king, the king visited yesterday. The king came. That is not the same as saying Allah is the king. Any the, the al here doesn't mean the same as the al here. And it's not, you know, like, it's not uh, that somebody, somebody doesn't give themselves the name that I am, al-malik, but... As a job description, the king says, I am the king. When he says, I am the king, he's not saying, I am Allah. The al here doesn't mean the same as the al there. The two al's mean something different. One, I am the king, as in, I am the ruler of the country. I am the one who has the kingdom. And Allah is the king, as in, a name of Allah, Azza wa Jal. The king, the sovereign of every single thing. And that all dominion and all ownership returns to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the meaning of this one is not the same as the meaning of, of this one.
So yes, they both have the same letters in them, but the meaning of this is not the same as the meaning of that. Now we come to the attributes. Now I've tried as much as I can to kind of include the attributes in the names when I've explained them. So in some ways we can just zoom through this in 10 minutes, inshallah, because we've kind of already covered most of the points. So the first principle with regard to the attributes is that the attributes of Allah are attributes of perfection. There is no deficiency in any of them. Allah Azza wa said in Surah An-Nahl, ayah number 60, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَىٰ To Allah belongs the best, the highest, the most lofty example. I, the most lofty attributes, belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In this, there is something also uh, useful which people may not understand. And that is that there are some attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you have to understand in the right way. So this rule says every attribute of Allah must be understood in a way that is perfect. So for example, how do we understand al-makr? Al-makr is plotting or scheming. That's what the word means in Arabic, to plot or to scheme. وَمَكَرُوا وَمَكَرَ اللَّهِ They plotted and Allah plotted. And Allah is the best of those who plot. And likewise, how do we understand? يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَهُوَ خَادِعُهُمْ They seek to deceive Allah, but Allah deceives them. So how do we understand plotting and how do we understand deceiving in the, light of, uh, in the light of the names of Allah and the attributes? First of all, these are attributes, not names. Why are they not names? Because they are not perfect in every aspect. They are only perfect in the aspect of the attribute which we apply to Allah. When we talk about uh, planning or scheming or plotting, this is a negative thing or it's a deficiency when it, is, uh, <coughs> when it is the nature of a person. You know when you say, oh, this person is always scheming, always plotting. However, with regard to Allah Azza wa Jal, it is a response to the plot of, of the enemies of Allah. In other words, Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَمَكَرُوا وَمَكَرَ اللَّهِ They made a plan, they made a scheme. But Allah Azza wa Jal took their plan and turned it back against them. And that is the meaning of the plotting that is, that is applied to Allah Azza wa Jal, the attribute of plotting, which is applied to Allah. You do not apply the negative understanding of the word, only the positive understanding of the word. What is the negative understanding of the word? You know, you have somebody who's scheming and plotting and always, you know, deceiving people and not truthful and not honest. You don't apply that to Allah Azza Rather, how it applies to Allah is as Allah said, They made a plan and a scheme. They tried to make a scheme. They tried to make a plot. They tried to, to plan against Allah, to destroy the message. They tried to put out the light of Allah. 
And even though they strived with everything they could do, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said? Even there, you know, even though their plot could have brought down the mountains. They could have brought the mountains down with their plot. Everything they were doing was just bringing them back to what Allah had decreed. And they were planning every single kind of thing against Islam. And all they were doing is simply just their plan was being completely turned against them. And everything they plotted to do was just reversed against them. This is perfection. This is perfection. And it has to be applied to Allah. Why? Because is it true to say that the enemies of Allah plot and Allah has no response? This is not true. This is not perfection. This is imperfection. Allah has... You know, Allah's enemies are plotting and He has no response. Rather, perfection is Allah's enemies are plotting and Allah turns their plot against them. So that everything they plot, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings it in the way that He wants it so that their plot is doing nothing but serving the decree of Allah And likewise, the deception. They seek to deceive Allah when Allah deceives them. Does that mean that Allah deceives a person by lying to them? By uh, giving them a false sense of, for example, that something is true and in fact it's false? This cannot be applied because this is deficiency. This is invalid. This is deficient. This is not perfect. But what is perfect is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to the deception of his enemies by deceiving them into thinking that their deception is working. So they think that their deception is very good and they think that they have deceived Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in fact, it is Allah who has deceived them by making them think that their deception was valid. So Allah responded to them in a perfect way in response to what they did. And not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala schemes and plots you know in any such way that human beings do but that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to deception by deceiving the one who is trying to deceive others into thinking that his deception will will be successful and will work so this is an important principle in this regard uh, the next principle there are more attributes than there are names And the reason for this is, as we said, every name contains an attribute, but not every attribute contains or is linked with a name. So, for example, we do not call Allah Al-Makir, the plotter, or Al-Khadi', the deceiver, or according to the strongest opinion, we do not call Allah Al-Muntaqim, the one who takes revenge. All of these are attributes of Allah. That Allah plots in response to the plot of his enemies. He deceives those who try to deceive the believers. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala carries out punishment on those who, and retribution on those who deserve it. But those are not names of Allah azza wa jal. 
because as a name, they would not be perfect. They are only perfect as an attribute, and hopefully that's been understood. If you say someone is a plotter, that doesn't sound like a good name. That doesn't sound like Al-Husna, any of the most beautiful name. You know the plotter, the schemer. But to say that Allah plots in response to the plot of his enemies, there is no, no issue with that. But, so there are many, many attributes that we do not give as names to Allah. For example, from the attributes of Allah is Al-Istiwa, that Allah rises. But we don't call Allah Al-Mustawi, the, the, the one who rises. And from the attributes of Allah is that He is Al-Musta'an, the one whose help we seek. But we don't call Allah Al-Musta'an as a name according to the stronger opinion. Al-Musta'an is not a name of Allah, but it, when you say Allahul Musta'an, you mean in, an, as an attribute that Allah is the one whose help you, you seek. And likewise, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks. Musa taklima. Allah spoke to Musa with a direct speech. But we do not call Allah al-mutakallim. And it's not from the names of Allah that he is al-mutakallim, the one who speaks. So there are more attributes than there are names. And many times we will come across something in the, in the names of Allah and we'll say to you in the names of Allah lesson, this is not a name of Allah, it is an attribute. And there are some that are disagreed over like Al-Musta'an and Al-Muntaqim where some people affirmed them and some didn't. But the stronger opinion is that both of those are attributes of Allah, not names of Allah And likewise, we can add to that and say that the topic of what we call al-akhbar, things that you say about Allah, things that you say about Allah, are more than the names and the attributes. So I want you to do is, if you've got a notepaper, draw three circles. One big circle, inside of it, draw a smaller circle, inside of it, draw a smaller circle. So one big circle, Inside of that circle, draw completely inside of the circle, draw another circle. And completely inside of that circle, draw another circle. The smallest circle, the one in the middle, write on it names. The middle circle, write attributes. And the larger one, things we say about Allah that are true. We call them in Arabic, akhbar. Things we say about Allah that are true. So, how does this work? Every single name contains an attribute. That's why it's inside of the circle. And every single attribute is something you say about Allah, which is true. So when I say Allah has mercy, that is true. Okay? When I say Allah has mercy, that is true. However, there are attributes that have no names. Every attribute is something you say about Allah, but there are attributes that have no names. And there are things you say about Allah that are not attributes, nor are they names. For example, Allah is mawjood. Allah exists. Is that true or false? True. Is there any evidence to say that one of the attributes of Allah is existence? There is no hadith, there is no ayah, there is no... Uh, 
evidence to say that Allah has the to, to, to give this formal attribute, this title of existence. Al-Wujud. And Allah doesn't have the name Al-Mawjud. It's not one of the names of Allah, Al-Mawjud, the one who exists. So it's something you say about Allah which is true, but it's not an attribute, nor is it a name. And they are the most, they are the majority, like the, the largest, because every single name is also something you say about Allah, and every attribute is something you say about Allah, but there are more things you say about Allah that are neither names nor attributes. You say them about Allah because we know that they are true. And we know Allah exists. And the whole Quran proves to us that Allah exists. But there is no evidence to make this one of the asma or sifat, one of the names and attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal. Rather it is from the akhbar, something that you say about Allah which is true. Okay. Next one. The names of Allah can be divided into two groups. Those which are affirmed and those which are the, the attributes of Allah. Those which are to be affirmed and those which are to be, uh, are, are, are to be denied. So what does this mean? Allah Azza wa Jal told us about himself and he described himself in the sense of affirming something being true and in the sense of denying or negating that something isn't true. So let's give a simple example. Uh, we already mentioned the ayah in Surah Al-Kahf. Allah told us that he is He has the attribute of mercy. Okay, Allah said, I have the attribute of mercy. In Ayat al Kursi, Allah said, He does not slumber, nor does he sleep. Rahma is an affirmation, right? Allah is saying, I am, a, I have the attribute of mercy. And with regard to Allah Azza wa Jal saying, La Allah says, I do not sleep, nor do I slumber. What, how do we respond to these? First of all, we, with regard to the ones that are affirmed, we affirm them and we affirm if it has an, an action that is applied to creation, we affirm that action. As for the ones that are negative, we affirm the perfect opposite. We negate the, the attribute and we affirm the perfect opposite. It's very important you do this because you cannot speak about Allah in the negative. I.e. you must say Allah is not this, so he is this. For example, Allah says, your Lord does not oppress anyone. What does that mean? He doesn't oppress, number one. And number two, we affirm perfect justice for Allah. You cannot say he doesn't oppress, full stop. 
you have to say he doesn't oppress, therefore he is perfectly just. You affirm the perfect opposite. So when Allah says he does not sleep, what's the perfect opposite of sleep? A, a perfect life. A life that has no deficiency in it. And that is why Allah said, Al-Hay, Al-Qayyum, La ta'khudhu sinatun wa la Al-Hay, the one who has perfect life, doesn't slumber, doesn't sleep. So you affirm the perfect opposite for Allah. So whenever you hear Allah say, Allah is not this, you say, I believe Allah is not that, and I believe that Allah is the perfect opposite. So someone says to you, what is the evidence that Allah is just? Did Allah say that Allah is the most just? Did Allah say, and your Lord is just? What is the evidence Allah is just? We say the evidence that Allah is just are any of the ayat in the Quran which say that Allah does not oppress anyone. Pick any ayah you like. Any ayah. Your Lord does not oppress anyone. This is a proof that Allah is perfectly just. Fourthly, Fourthly, uh, I've translated this one as the attributes which we affirm are attributes which are perfect and praiseworthy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is related to the negative attributes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions far more positive attributes than he does negative. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes are attributes of madh and kamal. They are attributes of praise and perfection. All of Allah's attributes are attributes of praise and perfection. And the more attributes there are of praise and perfection, the more the perfection of Allah stands out. Is that clear? The more attributes of praise and perfection there are, the more the perfection of Allah becomes clear to us. And that is the meaning of this rule. And, and essentially that's more or less uh, what we need to know. Uh, and that is because the negative attributes are of two types. One is a general negative. So the negative attributes are of two types. One is a general negative. For example, Allah said, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing similar to him. That's a general negative. Or a specific negative uh, that someone said about him. So why did Allah say that he doesn't slumber or sleep? He said it in response to those people who said that Allah rested on the seventh day. Or, or any of those people who said similar things. That, that Allah does not know much of what happens, that Allah rested on the seventh day, that Allah, that Allah sleeps. Whoever said those statements, Allah, the reason Allah said that he doesn't sleep is why? To clarify the, the lie that was invented by the Christians 
and the Jews and those who are with them than when they said that Allah rested on the seventh day. So there are two types of negative attributes. One is a general negative. There is nothing like him to clarify everything that Allah isn't. So Allah is not a human being or doesn't resemble a human being in any way. So you, you have, you have a, a complete negative. And then you have a specific negative. And the reason Allah mentions a specific negative is in order to respond or to refute something which was said about Allah, which is wrong. So why does Allah repeat that he is not oppressive? Because many people attribute oppression to Allah. They say, why has Allah done this to me? I don't deserve this. So Allah responds by saying, وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِظَلَّامٍ لِلْعَبِيدٍ Your Lord does not oppress any وَلَا يَظْلِمُ رَبُّكَ أَحَدًا Nobody, Allah does not oppress anybody at all. So the reason the negative is mentioned is either a general negative so that you realize Allah is nothing like this and then you can build on it with the positive or a specific negative in response to a specific misconception. Otherwise, the vast majority of these attributes are are positive because uh, positive attributes, attributes of praise and attributes of perfection, they are those which show you the perfection of Allah and also the third category the Shaykh mentions as well for the negative attributes um, is in order to clarify what could be understood to be a deficiency in order to clarify what could be understood as a deficiency. For example, Allah said in Surah Al-Dukhan, ayah number 38, We did not create the heavens and the earth and what is between them as a game. Did anybody say that it's a game? Maybe not. However, people may misunderstand that Allah created the heavens and the earth just as a as a game you know it's like just you know like they like and the people have said this you know that or you're just you know they especially the people who believed in more than one god they used to say like the gods are playing chess and you are the pawns and the gods are you know the gods are playing games with you and so on and allah responds to this by saying we did not create the heavens and the earth and what is between them as a game as a you know just for a game there is a reason for and a wisdom in what Allah in what Allah does. Quickly moving on, I'm going to try and finish at least these, and then we, even if we don't finish the evidences, but we finish this, inshallah. There are two types of attributes, ذاتية وفعلية. There are two types of uh, of attributes. I think this one might be missing in the principles. I'm going to see here. Here, there we go. Yeah, it is there. It's just, I'm looking at 2.4, principle 5. That's why I confused myself. Okay, principle 5, the attributes which we affirmed are divided into two groups. Those attributes which relate to Allah himself and those which relate to his actions. You guys are aware of this because we spoke about it in the, in the topic of the names. We said that there are attributes which relate to Allah himself and there are attributes which relate to things that Allah Azzawajal does. And the things which Allah does it's important that we affirm two things with, with relation to what Allah does. And this is in response to the Asha'ira and the Maturidiyah and some of the groups from the, of rhetoric. 
As for the attributes that relate to Allah Himself, for example, Allah has always been knowledgeable, has always had knowledge, and always will have knowledge. His knowledge is not related to His will. It's not like when he wills to be knowledgeable, he's knowledgeable, and when he wills to be ignorant, he is ignorant. No, he is always knowledgeable. Always has been and always will be. As for the actions, they are related to Allah's mashi'ah. They are related to Allah's will. Whenever Allah wills to do that action, he does it. And whenever Allah wills not to do it, he doesn't do it. And that is perfection. That when he wishes to do something, he does it. And the evidence for this in Surah Yasin, ayah number 82, إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا أَنْ يَقُولَ لَهُ كُنْ Whenever Allah wants to do something, He says be and it is. Notice whenever Allah wants to do something, meaning that the attributes of Allah, that our actions, are related to when He wants to do them. However, he has always had the ability to do them. Yani they have always been his attributes. They are not muktasab, like the Asha'ira said. And this is the biggest thing that, that the Asha'ira and the Maturidiyah, they didn't understand in this issue. They said, if you say Allah speaks when he wants, that must mean that there was a time when Allah could not speak. And we say that once again, you need to take your intellect for an overhaul and get it fixed because it's not working. Allah Azza wa Jal speaks when He wants and He has always been able to speak and He has always been described as one who speaks. But He speaks when He wants and He refrains from speaking when He wants. Allah has always been described with mercy but He has mercy upon who he wants and he withholds mercy from who he wants and the strangest thing with these groups is they get themselves in a muddle so when you ask them about mercy they say yeah actually that's true Allah has mercy on who he wants and he doesn't have mercy on who he wants so you say okay so that means Allah speaks when he wants and he doesn't speak they say no 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 Allah's speech is a constant according to them yani it's like that annoying noise that you hear on the you know when you, when you tune something in and it just goes like that, it's a constant. That's what they said the speech of Allah is. It's a constant that always has been and always will be. It doesn't have words, it doesn't have letters, it doesn't have sound, it just is a, a constant. It always has been and always will be. Ahlul Sunnah said, this is your intellect, you have no evidence for this. Innama amruhu idha arada shay'an an yakuna an yakula lahu kum fayakun. Allah says, be and it is, when He wants. So you say to them, what about creation? Is Allah's creation a constant that He doesn't create actual things, but He, you know, His creation is just a solid constant? No, nobody says this. Everybody says Allah creates some things when He wants and other things when He wants. Allah speaks when He wants and refrains from speaking when He wants. Allah bestows mercy on who He wants and refrains from bestowing mercy upon who he wants that is perfection as for this idea that everything from the attributes of Allah is a single constant like his life like it's exactly like life you know it always it is like just you know a straight line then this is something which has no evidence for it except the intellect of those people who followed Aristotle 
and the Greek philosophers instead of the Quran and the Sunnah. And those people who said, my intellect is superior to the Quran and the Sunnah. As for the people who follow the Quran and the Sunnah, they have no problem in saying that Allah speaks to whoever He wants, whenever He wants. Allahu Musa taklima. Allah spoke to Musa directly. When He wanted, how He wanted, to whom He wanted, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because He is fa'alun lima yurid. He does whatever He wants to do, whenever He wants to do it. So there are two types of attributes. One is a constant, and one is dependent upon His will but the one that is dependent upon his will this is important the one that is dependent upon his will is the one which we still affirm that he has always been described with it and will always be described with it he did not learn how to speak he always spoke and he will always speak but he chooses when to do that action and when not to do that action very 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 quickly we must avoid two great sins with regard to the attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal. The first is at-tamthil, comparing Allah to His creation. And the second one is at-takyif, asking how. And both of these I've mentioned to you in the lecture already in, a different, in one way or another. So I mentioned to you, you can't know Allah except with one of three things. Either you saw Him or either you compare Him or either you heard about him from a reliable source. You haven't seen Allah, and you'll not see Allah until you die. You cannot compare Allah to anything, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told you about himself, and therefore that's the only source you can take it from. You cannot compare Allah to his creation. But saying that Allah speaks does not compare to Allah to his creation. Because we speak and Allah speaks, but his speech is not like our speech. His speech is befitting to him, and our speech is befitting to us as a weak and deficient creation that we are. Allah's speech is perfect. He does what He wills when He wills. As for asking how, then this is the big question you never ask with regard to Allah. How does Allah speak? How does Allah rise? How does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send down something? How does Allah descend? How does Allah uh, have bestow mercy? How does... We don't ask how with regard to the names of Allah Azza wa Jal. Let's have a look. Again, the attributes of Allah are tawqifiyah. There's no position for your intellect in them, and we've mentioned this already. Uh, the last part, just, I know we're over time, so we're not going to take too much longer. The last part relates to the evidences for the names and attributes of Allah. I just want to read the titles to you, okay? Because I just want you to understand basically what the rule is. Because I want you to have all of the rules. So the, the first rule is you only affirm the names of Allah and His attributes from the Quran and the Sunnah. So I think that's clear for everybody. That the source of the names and attributes of Allah is the Quran and the authentic Sunnah. It's not dreams. It's not that my Sheikh told me this. Or it's not that... You know, this is the, the secret name of Allah that was passed down in generations. The names of Allah are affirmed by the Qur'an and by the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Second principle, with regard to the text of the Qur'an and the sunnah, it is obligatory for us to understand them according to their apparent meaning without changing the meaning away from the clear meaning of the text. 
Uh, very, very briefly, this is also relating to the people of rhetoric, of ilm al-kalam. And generally what they did is they, every text that did not agree with their intellect, they changed the meaning of it. So they came and Allah said, وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا Allah spoke to Musa directly. They said, Allah can't speak. This is not possible. My intellect cannot understand this. Therefore, it means Allah revealed to Musa. Did Allah say revealed? No. Allah said, Allah spoke to Musa taklima, direct speech. Clear direct speech and the hadith about it and the words that were revealed in the Quran. Indeed, I am your Lord. And, and you know, it's too famous to know. When Allah Azza wa Jal said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they say that Allah, Allah's hands are tied. May they, Allah, may their hands be tied. And may they be cursed for what they say. Rather, his hands are outstretched. He said, my intellect cannot understand what a hand, how can Allah have a hand? Therefore, they changed it. To mean a hand, to mean power. But this does not make sense because Allah said hand. If Allah wanted to say power, he would have said power. He said hand. And he didn't just say hand. The Prophet ﷺ said fingers. Said the hearts of the servants are between the two fingers of the most merciful. He turns them however he wants. Allah described his hands as being outstretched. Allah said, the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah has two right hands. Both of his hands are right. And after that, does any of that work as power? His power has fingers, his power is outstretched, he has two right powers. It doesn't make any sense. You take the text according to the apparent meaning, but you do not compare Allah to his creation. So you say Allah has a hand, but it's not like our hand. Allah has fingers, but they're not like our fingers. Allah has eyes, but they're not like our eyes. Because Allah said, Tajri tahta ayunina. The ship traveled beneath our eyes. They said, oh, this means beneath our knowledge. They said, The most merciful rose above the throne. They said, that means he conquered the throne. You see what's happening? Every time they come across an ayah that their limited brains cannot understand, they change the meaning to something else. And this is a ta'wil. This is haram. And it's a lie against Allah. Nobody is more truthful in Allah than than Allah in speech. وَمَنْ أَصْدَقُ مِنْ اللَّهِ قِيلَ Nobody is more truthful than Allah in speech. Allah Azza wa Jal sent down this Quran as a clear Quran. As a clear Quran in clear Arabic. And then they come and say, another group of them came, they said, actually, nobody knows what these ayat mean. Because they realized that they got stuck. And every mutakallim or every mu'awwil, everyone who does ta'wil of the sifat, everyone who changes the meaning of the sifat goes through two phases. It's like when a caterpillar, like, like a, one of those, it turns into a, you know, like one turns into the other, one animal turns into another animal, the, turns into the butterfly. And there's two phases, yani with the mutakallimun always, or the, the people who make ta'wil of the sifat of Allah. The first phase is that they change the meanings of the ayat. Then after a while, they realize that it doesn't work. They realize that it doesn't work. And they get themselves completely stuck. And they say, actually, nobody knows what these ayat mean. And they become 
mufawwidah. They become guilty of something called tafwid. They basically say, we have no idea what the ayah means. The ayah is just like hieroglyphics. There is no meaning to it. Nobody understands what the meaning, and they disagree. Did the Prophet ﷺ know the meaning of the ayah or not? Some of them said the Prophet ﷺ didn't know the meaning. And that these names, when Allah says, As-Sami' Al-Basir, it's like Alif, Lam, Mim, Sad. And it has no understandable meaning. Subhanallah, they have made most of the Quran meaningless. Effectively, what they have said is that most of the Quran is meaningless. And they have accused Allah Azza wa Jal of repeating things that cannot be understood. And they accused the Prophet Sallallahu of ignorance and the companions of ignorance. There is no way that this works. Ta'wil doesn't work, tafweed doesn't work. The only thing that works is you say, I believe in what Allah Azza wa Jal sent down. Allah said he has a hand, he has a hand. But it's not like our hand because Allah is not like his creation. And that is easily understood from the ayah. There is nothing like him. And he is the all hearing, the all seeing. We can see, but our sight is not like Allah. We can hear, but our hearing is not like Allah. But Allah can see and Allah can hear. Very simple. Not difficult to understand, easy to follow. When you start to listen to the, the people who do ta'wil and the mutakallimun, what you hear from them is, it goes backwards and forwards. One of them says, Hand means power. Then when you explain to him it can't mean power, he says, okay, I agree with you, it can't mean power. It doesn't mean anything. When you say, okay, it doesn't mean anything, you've just said the Quran is full of meaningless words. Allahu Akbar. And you don't have anything after that. And that's because they're using the intellect. It's all just making the brain try to understand. Just be simple. There's nothing like him. And he is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. Very, very quickly, um, we will quickly skim through what else we have. Okay, there is an aspect of the meaning which is known to us and an aspect of the meaning is which is not known to us. So we've talked about the meanings. There is a part of the meaning which is known, a part of the meaning which is not known. What is the part that is known? What is known is what is apparent from the language. And if I say to you, the sun rose and I rose up from my chair and uh, the fog rose over the valley. You know what the word rose means. You know what that word means. Nobody sits there and thinks, what does that word mean? I've never heard of that word before. You know what the word means. But what you don't know is how that applies to Allah The word rose, we know what it means. We understand what the word rising means. But the way the sun rises is not the way the same that I rise. I don't rise the same way as the sun rises. And Allah doesn't rise the same way that anything from his creation rises. So we know the meaning of the word, but we don't understand the application of that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Only Allah knows that application. And that is why Imam Malik said his famous statement. When a man came into the masjid and he said, how does Allah rise? above his throne and he said he said rising is not unknown meaning we know what it means 
and how it applies to Allah cannot be understood by us. وَالْإِيمَانُ بِهِ وَاجِبُ Believing in it is wajib. وَالسُؤَالُ عَنْهُ بِدْعَةٌ And asking about it is an innovation. And then he commanded that the man be taken out of the masjid. Four things. If you understand them in this statement, you understood this particular issue. Istiwa is not unknown. Al-istiwa'u ghayru majhul. We know what it means. The meaning is understood. Nobody says, I don't know what this word means. We know the meaning. If I tell you the hand of a clock, or my hand, or the hand of a, of a like we say, like the hand of, a, of an animal, you know what, what the, you know what those things mean. You know what a hand is. You understand what the meaning of it is. How it applies to Allah cannot be understood by our intellect. Believing in it is wajib and asking about it is an innovation. I asking how does it apply to Allah is an innovation. As for what is meant by the apparent meaning, which is the next one, apparent meaning of the text is that which comes to mind and it depends on the context and the words that surround it. That should be fairly self-explanatory. We could probably cover this in more detail later on. But at least we should, you know, in a basic sense, um, in a basic sense, we should understand. In a basic sense, we should understand that the meaning of the apparent meaning is the meaning that is clearly understood from the context and the words that are surrounding it. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that his hands are outstretched, that gives you an understanding. Now, if you want to say power, it doesn't make sense because power doesn't isn't outstretched and power doesn't have fingers and power doesn't yaqabid wa yabsut yani yaqabid al-qabd is to grab hold of something and al-bast is to like to to let something go to open up your hands so you know that those things apply to Allah described himself in that way how does it apply to Allah you don't know Allah is not like his creation so you can't you can't demonstrate it you can't explain it you can't resemble you can't compare it to anything but it doesn't make sense to take the apparent word as meaning power because it doesn't make sense to say that power is grasping something or letting something go or that power has fingers or that power uh, is outstretched or that there are two right powers it doesn't make sense. The word that makes sense is the one that is apparent by the context and the words that surround it. After that, the Sheikh mentioned another section which I mistakenly did not include in my three sections. I said three sections and there are four. And the fourth one is uh, doubts and the response to them. And inshallah, we will cover this uh, in a future module, inshallah, when we come to the names and attributes of Allah. But inshallah, uh, if you're able to get hold of the book, uh, the book has been published in English. But to the best of my knowledge, it is not available as a PDF online. Parts of it are available online. You can get parts of it. It's called something like Lofty Principles, or I believe Lofty Principles, something like that. So if you type in Lofty Principles, Names of Allah, uh, and we'll send you a link to, the, to, to what is available. But I believe that the brother who translated it translated a part of it online and then translated the rest as a book and... So the book was, was sold. So I, I'm not, I don't believe that there is a full copy of the book available online. However, those of you who can read Arabic can go through it, inshallah. It's very easy to understand. And inshallah, we will cover whatever we have missed in the, in the other topics. 
Um, I'm not going to do too much in the way of Q&A, just about seven minutes, because we just go till about half past, half past nine, inshallah, uh, with the Q&A, because we've already taken too long. But I did want to at least go through the main principles that you've understood them. If there's a principle you haven't understood, inshallah, we can go over that in more detail in another, in another session, inshallah. Just highlight to us that this one I wasn't, I wasn't quite, I didn't quite understand, and we can, we can give it in more detail, inshallah. I'm just going to have a quick look for the sisters. We have a few just very, very quickly. Where do you recommend for us to get the correct names and attributes of Allah? Uh, the answer to that is that I'm working on a project for that myself uh, because it's not easy. But I have, an, I have a class on the names and attributes of Allah. Um, there isn't really a book which I would say in English gathers all of the correct names and attributes of Allah together. Uh, but we're working on doing something in that regard, inshallah. Uh, number two. Uh, if Allah was the most forgiving and merciful, why is there so much suffering on earth? 